Okie dokie. Um, so this is Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so I'm beginning a new series. Uh, welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. I'm beginning with Genesis. Um, I guess uh, with the new year and um, lots of people are beginning with the new Bible plan. I thought um, I'll start from scratch again as well for myself, for my own uh, benefit. But also if anyone wants to journey with me, um, I'll be looking at the book of Genesis and hopefully making it through the entire book over the next few weeks. Um, and yeah, so we are reading Genesis 1 and verse 1, talking about God creating everything. So God creating the heavens and the earth, it's kind of like covering every aspect of creation, what you can see and what is unseen, the heavens and the earth. And uh, it talks about how things were before God created everything. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void. It was empty. Uh, there was no, no form, meaning there was no structure. There was no order. Uh, there was no God. And so God is associated with uh, order and with stability, I guess, uh, with a kind of definition. You know, there is a purpose and there's a form to everything. But before God, there was none of that. And there was also darkness. Verse 2, darkness was over the face of the deep. So the deep here, I guess, uh, describing the sea. You know, a uh, picture of um, chaos, of um, disorder again. You know, verse 2, again, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So uh, deep is equated with the waters. So you think of deep waters, of um, how dangerous it is, you know, you drown in the sea. And um, before um, there was creation, it was just, I think you imagine a ball of water, um, and the earth wasn't defined yet, there was no dry land, and it was basically unlivable. I think that's what it's trying to say. Um, but even in this state of darkness, of formlessness and void, um, it says, verse 2 again, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So beginning there's God, verse 1, but now there's the Spirit of God. And this idea of um, God's Spirit over the waters, hovering, maybe even incubating the earth like an egg. By the way, I'm not sure whether you can hear the fan. So I have the fan running on above the ceiling, so I'm not sure how that will be picked up on the audio, uh, but hopefully it's not too distracting. Uh, but yeah, it, it's talking about, again, the state of the earth before creation and how God was there. You know, before creation, there was God. Before creation, there was um, uh, no form because God had yet to, I guess, impart that quality that God has, bringing order bringing definition and meaning, being, bringing purpose to the earth. Uh, but it seems as if, in verse 2, with the Spirit of God 
hovering over the earth that God was somehow preparing the earth um, by um, moving over the waters, I guess, hovering over it. You, uh, you think of like a bird almost, you know, hovers over the earth. I think um, the image that comes to mind is when Noah releases the dove and it you know flies to and fro across the waters you know it doesn't find anywhere to land and then returns to the ark so um yeah this that's the picture that comes to mind when i think of god's spirit hovering over the face of the waters okay let's move on uh, uh, because there's a lot of ground to cover verse three uh, and god said let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So now we're looking at um, each stage of creation as a new day. And on the first day, God creates light, and he creates it by his word. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Almost as if it's a response to that command. You know, do this. And it, it just happens. And so there seems to be power invested in God's word, his speech alone, that he just commands it to be so, commands it into being, you know, let there be light. And then in response to his word, there was this creation of light. And so we see three aspects of God so far. You know, God himself, verse 1, God's spirit, verse 2, and now God's word in verse 3. And now God himself responds to his creation in verse 4. God saw that the light was good, and so he is... Um, kind of like this artist beholding his creation. You know, it's good stuff. You know, he, 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 he pronounces that value upon what he sees. And so um, it was um, in the beginning when God created it, a good. You know, the fact that God created something and God imparted this value upon it. Um, therefore, there is value, there is worth, there is beauty and this creation that God created in the beginning. But at the same time, there's also a distinction. Verse 4, and God separated the light from the darkness. So there's something of the previous state of creation that is still there. The darkness, the void, the formlessness. But there's also this light, this goodness, this beauty that God brings into creation and there's a distinction he separates it from one another and that's i guess god's way of bringing order and form and definition to creation he creates distinction here between light and dark verse 5 god called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day god giving a name to uh, the different elements of light and darkness, calling them day and night, maybe signifying its purpose, you know, its uh, its ownership. You know, God 
uh, giving a name to something, you know, kind of like you inventing a new app and you have the right to give it a name, give it a purpose. And so God does that in creation with the light and the darkness. And so um, he also defines, therefore, I guess, time and, um, you know, day and night. You know, this is um, followed by verse 5, evening and morning. So him creating light defines the light and the darkness as its nature, but also in terms of its purpose in differentiating one day from another. Verse 5, evening and then morning, darkness, and then light. This is the first day. Um, And, okay, so there will be this pattern then to each day of creation. And and let's look at the next day and see what it has in common with the first. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Let me just hover over that word expanse. Expanse can also mean a canopy. You think of a tent, you know, this tent that you put over uh, your head to separate your head from the rain, that kind of thing. So there's this separation, there's this blanket, there's this layer that God created in the second day. And what it does in verse 6, it separates waters from waters. So the waters below make sense as the sea, but the waters above, I guess the sky or the clouds that maybe produce water in terms of rain. And so what's in between is this space, this canopy, this layer called um, an expanse. Verse 7, And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So already, already there is this repetition of a formula of God speaking this command, let there be, and there was. Um, uh, and God naming the thing that he created. Here he names it heaven. And then there's a demarcation of time, you know, evening, morning, the second day. Day. Maybe the only difference so far is that in the first, there was God pronouncing this value, judgment, this good. The light was good. He didn't say that the expanse was good. But we see a pattern, a repetition, a kind of template of God's creation from day to day. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Um, uh, Let me carry on, verse 11, and God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning the third day. So day three, 
there's the land and the sea, but there are two halves. Then the first half, he talks about the gathering of the land and the gathering of the sea. So verse 9, let the waters be gathered and the dry land appear. So, so okay, right. So then he gathers the water. And as he gathers the water, it reveals the land. And so um, he puts together constraints, I guess. You know, he borders the sea and the land. And by gathering the sea together, he creates this dry land called earth. Verse 10, he called the dry land earth. Now, let me just mouse over. I'm looking, by the way, at um, Bible Gateway, and so I can hover over certain words, and it tells me what they mean. And very interestingly, verse 10, where it says, God called the dry land earth, that word earth, can also mean land. He created this land. And I guess the significance there is that it's not just that God created all these dry spaces that became, you know, Malaysia and, you know, Europe and Africa, the kind of thing, spaces on land in which we can walk on without getting our feet wet. But the fact that the word earth can also mean literally land, um, it brings it much more localized because it can refer to the promised land. You know, um, how Moses brought the Israelites from Egypt into the promised land. So and there's a special significance to calling it land and not just earth, you know, the whole globe. But God created this home, this inheritance, this space that God would then give to his people as an inheritance, as a place for them to dwell in, to worship him in. And so the way that he did that was that, again, by gathering the waters, verse 10, and the waters that were gathered were called the sea. So God pulled all the sea together and revealed this dry space called land, and God saw that it was good. So that's the first half, because the second half reveals how God populates the land with um, plants. <laughs> verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation or plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And so here is the first uh, inkling, the first sprinkling of a life, you know, in the form of vegetation and plants and these fruit trees that are able to replicate themselves. Hence there is seed. Hence there is also this continuity of life. You know, God creates these trees that are able to bear more trees, you know, through its seed. And so verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to its own kinds. There is this repetition of how each kind produces its own kind. There's a definition not just on the earth in creation, but even in the types of life forms that God creates. Um, so, um, and even amongst trees and fruits, you know, they have their own uh, species, their own kinds of trees that they are able to replicate themselves through their seed. And this as well, God saw was good at the end of verse 12. And this marks the end of the third day. Interesting, interesting. So what we see so far here, you know, days one, two, and three is God almost uh, setting up the stage. 
can put it that way. You know, God creates light and darkness, and then He creates water and water, and then He creates well, water above and water below, the skies and the seas, and then He creates land and the seas. And it's an act of separation. Separation. You know, it separates light and darkness, sea and sea, land and sea. And here we see definition again. God, um, the way that He creates is by defining. The way that He brings forth order is by distinction. And this is a glimpse into God's nature of holiness. Because holiness has this idea of something that belongs to God, that's copyrighted by God. And here, the way that God copyrights or His creation, the way that He puts His mark upon it is by distinction. You know, this is defined in this way, that is defined in that way. And they do not mix. So the seas above do not mix with the seas below. The land and the seas do not mix. And that sets the stage for the life that's going to fill these uh, stages, these containers with. And we'll see that in days four, five, six. So days one, two, three again, sets up the stage, sets up these boxes or spaces or containers and what we will see in days four five and six is god filling filling these containers with life so let's move on to day number four um which is in verse 14 okay and god said verse 14 let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. Okay, so what's God doing here? You know, it says, let there be lights. But, you know, there's a light to separate the day from the night. And so what God does is he creates lights for the containers back in day one. Now remember, day one, he created day and night, light and darkness and now he's going to have a special light for the day and a special light for the darkness so again day one he creates the containers and day four he fills these containers with something that fills that particular space that he defined earlier so uh, verse 16 god made two great lights the greater light to rule the day the lesser light to rule the night and the stars do you see so he created day and night, and then he fills the day with the sun. He calls it the greater light. He fills the night with the lesser light, the moon, that kind of thing. But he doesn't call it the sun and the moon. He just calls it like lights. You know, it's like nothing for God, you know. And I think, you know, it shows that really this is so easy for God to do. You know, creating the stars, creating the moon, creating the sun. Um, and in response to how... Um, we might be tempted to worship these huge heavenly objects. You know, God, God just sees them like light bulbs. He just, it's just something for him to fill the space with, you know, the sun and the moon for the day and the night. Uh, verse 17, And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. So yeah, you know, God filling the day and the night with the greater light, with the lesser light, the sun and the moon. And there's just this throwaway line at the end, verse 16, and the stars. 
You look up in the sky, you see all these stars. You think, whoa, you know, so amazing. What an amazing sight. Each star is like a huge sun in the universe. You, know, you just say, you know, God created that. It's like nothing for God to create these huge heavenly objects in the sky that we marvel at. God sees them like light bulbs, you know, sprinkling them in the night sky. Um, verse 20, um, and God said, let the earth swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarms according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And the key word here is swarm. You know, you think of, uh, it's not just one animal, but, uh, uh, but all kinds that fill up the space. That's, I, I think of noise, you know, swarm of animals, you know, or, or just a busy sky with all these animals and a busy sea with all these fish. And he creates these animals to fill again the two containers from day two. So you remember day two, he separated the waters above with the waters below. Now he fills the waters above, the sky above, with all kinds of birds, and he fills the waters below with all kinds of sea creatures. It doesn't quite say fish, but it says great sea creatures. So it can be all kinds of manner of sizes of animals that he fills these two containers with. Let me look at that again. Um, verse 21, God created great sea creatures every living creature that moves, with which a water swarm according to this kind. So anything you can see in the sea, or you go to like a fish market and you see all these different types of fish, every different kinds that is there that you can see, you can't see, God created it with the idea of filling it and making it full with not just one kind, but many, many kinds of fish in the sea, of sea creatures, maybe, you know, octopus, whale, maybe even like all these sea monsters that we don't even know yet, you know, Kevin cataloged yet, or maybe in the past used to live, you know, God created all of that. And in the sky, all kinds of birds. And the idea is, you know, there's this picture of almost messiness, <laughs> this idea of swarm. You know, God said to them, verse 22, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters. You know, it's like, imagine, you know how when parents you know, they uh, build a room for a new kid, new baby, and, you know, they dress it up and they paint the walls and then they decorate it with all kinds of cartoons and animals. And then they have the crib and they have the stroller and they have everything. Everything is really neat and very nice and very safe for baby. And then when the baby comes, messy everywhere. But, you know, God is almost saying to his creation, to this life, to these birds, to these fish, mess it up. <laughs> the whole point of God creating these neat structures of sky and sea, of light and darkness, is that it might be filled with life. And life is, in some ways, the very definition of life is that it is just so messy and noisy and full of life, and God almost wants it to be that way because he says, you know, fill, you know, fill creation, fill the waters, fill the sky, and multiply means make more noise, you know, make more of yourselves and have it always be, be noisy, have it always be full of activity. Don't let it be boring, you know, that kind of thing. 
And it says something about God's nature that He's on the one hand very orderly, very composed, very uh, defined in His holiness, in His structure, in His creativity. But at the same time, He's also very messy. He wants to see activity. He doesn't want things to stay static. He wants to fill all of creation with these creatures that look different and are different sizes and have different kinds of noises, and they 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 they, they just have different ways of living from one another. God wants it that way when he looks at his creation. It's not meant to be these empty, beautiful spaces that look um, so nice in a catalog, but it's meant to be just busy, 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 and full of life. And that's day five. Um, day six, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and birds of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was, it was good. It was good. You know, again, describing so many different kinds of creatures now on the earth. Now remember again, day three, you know, he separated the earth from the waters and now there's this space. It's not meant to be empty. You know, he's not creating an empty house for him to keep it pristine. No, he wants to fill it with all these creepy crawlies. You know, <laughs> you know I, like, I like the bit where he talks about livestock and creeping things. So even the worms or any bugs, God created bugs and it was a good thing that he filled the earth with bugs, but also with Huge animals, you know, beasts of the earth, livestock. So various sizes, again, various types, various smells <laughs> of different living creatures and beasts that roam on the earth because that's what it's there for. It's not meant to stay clean. It's meant to be filled with life. And God saw it. It was good. That's the way that God created the earth to be, you know, filled with activity, filled with life. But now, day six, you know, by day six, all the containers have been created. All the containers have been filled with life. But now day six, he, he adds one additional form of life that's very different from the rest. And here in day six, he creates man. Well, man and woman, mankind, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So this new creature is a creature, you know, he, 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 uh, uh, he is created uh, in day six after he, God creates all these other creatures to roam the earth. But at the same time, it, he's unlike all the other creatures because verse 26, he is made in God's likeness. It says they're in our image after our likeness. You go, you know, what does that mean? For God to say man is to be made in his image, like somehow like a copy of him. Somehow, when you look at this particular creature called mankind, you're meant to see a picture of God. And furthermore, he says, our image, you know, there, there's a plurality there. 
there's something about God's plurality that's meant to be reflected in this new creature, this new creation. And on top of that, man is to have authority, headship over all the other creatures. Let them have dominion, verse 26. It means have headship, have control, be the CEO of, and he names all the other creatures, the fish, the birds, the livestock, even all, over all the creepy crawlies. So man was created to be like uh, the CEO, the manager of all the other living things. And maybe that first bit about God's image is connected with this second picture of man's authority, that God's rule over the earth is seen over man's authority over all living things. So verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Interesting, isn't it? Male and female. You know, God's creation of humankind is the creation of gender. You know, male and female. God created both man and woman as one humanity. He didn't create two individuals, but one humanity made out of two genders, very different from one another. And maybe this is one aspect of that plurality again that we see in God's own image. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, you know, take control of it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he gives them this uh, mandate, this charge, this permission to have this authority, this position of authority over everything else that lives in the earth. Verse 29, And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So um, maybe, maybe, you know, the idea is that they'll be vegetarians. <laughs> but, but the idea is that God provides for them sustenance. You know, uh, God gives to them these trees that will provide for them in turn what they need to survive, to eat, and maybe to even enjoy, you know. Um, and so also maybe connected with that, maybe instead of dominion, just looking after all these animals like pets, you know, he's also meant to look after dominion over the trees, over the living vegetation. And maybe it's the idea of like maybe even a gardener, you're meant to plant them, you're meant to sow them. Then that's how God provides for them this food. Uh, verse 30, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Okay, that's interesting. So because you don't expect the, the, <laughs> the animals to cultivate the ground. Um, but uh, again, maybe this comes under the supervision of man that he's meant to see that it's not just for him alone, but there is a kind of shared ownership of the earth. You know, he's meant to have dominion, yes, but he's meant to care for it in such a way that it's able to provide not just for him, but also for every other living thing as well. Sometimes, you know, we think, you know, everything's just for us. But, you know, this earth is given to us to supervise, but it's meant for all of us, including the animals, for us to be able to live off, to be able to enjoy, to be able to survive on. And there's a kind of social responsibility embedded in creation. 
Um, and it was so. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So the end of day six is the end of the creation of all living things, with the apex, the high point, being the creation of mankind over everything. And I guess here is God ruling, uh, well, ruling over the earth, but through man. So mankind is given this kind of supervision responsibility. Instead of God ruling directly over the earth, we're given, given that um, line manager responsibility of looking over the earth in God's stead. And interestingly, you know, God says, verse 31, it was very good. All the other days he says it was good, it was good, it's very good in verse 6, in, in day 6, because this is the day when it looks complete. And this is the way that the earth is meant to be. It's sustainable. God has placed someone in charge of everything to look after it responsibly. And this someone is made up of male and female. You know, the genders reflect God's um, provision of identity. You know, uh, um, maybe even um, the idea of marriage, you know, male and female, you know, God created maybe even marriage, this idea of um, a ma male and female working together in this kind of harmony, uh, taking on this responsibility together and helping one another to carry out this um, job of supervising the earth. Uh, let me just uh, look ahead to chapter 2 because I want to finish it off with day number 7. So this is Genesis 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished this work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So uh, the word I'm seeing here repeated again and again is the word rest. Verse 2, he rested from all the work. Verse 3, he blessed it, made it holy because God rested from his work. And here we see that rest comes at the end of God's work. Even God rests from his work. And it might be that, you know, we tend to rest when we've been too tired. We need to recover from our work. But here we have a sense of completion of work that then God rests from that work. As in, there's nothing else to be done. That's why he rests. It's not that God, oh, so tired, but that God looks at his creation. It's done. And the idea of rest is here then, therefore, that sense of satisfaction, looking at a work that is good, very good, perfect even that God is able to have that satisfaction from, from having finished that work. So verse 2 again, heaven and the earth were finished. And maybe for us then, you know, the idea of rest then is not just putting down the work, not doing the work, but rather finishing that work and then resting as a reward from finishing that work. And so... Um, with that, we've looked at the seven days of God's creation in chapter 1, spilling over into chapter 2, and we see how God has created earth very intentionally, you know, very beautifully, and he sees that it's good, very purposefully, you know, everyone has a function, you know, um, there is that definition of light and darkness, but also man given that authority in God's place to rule over the earth. 
uh, perhaps that's a reflection of the image that God imparts onto man. You know, this authority, but also definitely in uh, the distinction. You know, the genders, male and female, that plurality of God's image that's seen in the genders. Again, different and yet complementary, and yet helping one another to take on this responsibility of looking after. The earth, so there is a kind of completion, satisfaction, that then is culminated in the rest of God on the seventh day. You know, this is um, how creation was made. It was very, very good. You know, this was before sin. There was a kind of design to everything, a kind of purpose, a kind of goodness, a kind of holiness that God imparts into something that He made, that He sees is good. And that he entrusts into man's hands to care for, to look out for, to uh, bear as almost a part of our identity. It's not so much a job, but it's a reflection of who we are as God's creation. To carry out um, this, 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 this care, the supervising work of looking after the earth. When we do that responsibly, lovingly, and uh, we get a sense that this is what we were made for. And we are able to maybe even rest in satisfaction of seeing it being done in a way that is satisfactory. Now, of course, you know when you look at the world today, it doesn't look that way. You know, the world is kind of a mess, and we'll see a bit more of that in the coming chapters. You know, when sin enters in the world, but at least here in the original design of God's creation, there is a kind of completeness, a kind of goodness. And maybe even a picture of God that's reflected in creation and even our identity as humankind. Um, yeah. Okay. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, how amazing it is that you're able to help us see your design in creation. How awesome it is. How good it is. And how purposeful it is. I think it helps us to realize that. Um, um, Having a maker means having a purpose. Um, having a maker means having this goodness and this value that comes not from within ourselves, but from you. Uh, help us to recover that. Help us to see the fulfillment of that in the rest, in the salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, as you know, the Lord of rest, the Lord of our Sabbath. So we thank you again for this word. Help us to just appreciate it. And as we walk out into creation today, to apply it into our lives, just to thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for joining me. This has been, uh, I don't know if this works or help is helpful for you. I'm not sure if the fan is very distracting. Again, I do apologize if it is. Um, but I am um, just starting a new year and a new journey, beginning at, uh, with the book of Genesis. So if you want to join me, there's more to come. Um, as we go through the book of Genesis in the coming days and weeks, and hopefully not months. <laughs> hopefully you will finish it by February at the latest. But yeah, thank you for joining me again. This has been the Daily Bible Reading Show, looking at Genesis chapter 1. Take care, and God bless. Bye.